All right, well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Elam. I do discipleship for uh, adults, so basically people that are, you know, tw- 30 and up or 25, whatever. It doesn't matter, really. Just adults, just adults. So as I understand it, you guys are in a series in the book of Daniel. Wow, one person knew that. Fantastic. And what I love about this book, and this is what Pastor Luke has really kind of emphasized in this whole thing, that this is really about living, what it looks like to live in a post-Christian world. I don't know about you, but do you feel like things have changed? Like, I'm a little bit older than you. I can remember when um, going to church, people didn't think you were a weirdo for doing that. I remember a time where Christians or evangelical Christians were something called the moral majority. Essentially what was going on was the whole culture kind of went along with an evangelical framework for justice, for what it was okay to be like, societal context, allowances, all that other stuff. But somewhere along the way, I can remember it shifting. And for a long time, my family and I, as I was growing up, we were actually on the out. My dad is this East Indian guy. My mom is a French-Canadian woman. They made a Jewish-looking baby, which is pretty awesome. But I think the beauty of it for them was they didn't find Jesus until a lot later on in life. Like, my dad was probably closer to 35. My mom was about 31. And for them, they had explored all kinds of different things. And so for us, we were actually on the outside of this whole idea of moral majority. Like, here was my dad who was a completely non-practicing Sikh man, didn't have any religious affiliation at all, and based on all of the stuff that was going on around them, when they went to go get married, the parish that my mom was a part of actually said, well, two things, no, we can't marry you, obviously. One, he's not Catholic, he's, he's a pagan. And two, he's brown. So we can't marry you. We don't want to mix the races. And for my mom, that was, uh, well, you're an idiot. We're going to move on. I don't have anything to do with this church if that is how you're going to treat people. And so she left her, for her, what was for her a very vibrant faith in the Catholic church. And for years, literally years, they wandered around trying to figure out what to do about faith. They started having kids, me and my sister, and they thought, you know, there was something here that they wanted to give to their kids in terms of religious affiliation and raising. And so we started going to seek temple every Sunday with my, with my grandmother. So, I mean, just picture it, right? Like a sea of brown and a one Jewish child in the middle running around pulling all my auntie's, you know, saris off. And it was crazy. And for a while, we went to Hare Krishna temples. For a while, we hung out uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, my mom studied with them for three years. We went to every Indian mystic known to man in terms of their, their groupings, their, their kind of their head offices in, in Canada. Like, we went, we checked out literally everything. And it came down to this point in time where my dad goes to this client's house. He had his own insurance company at the time. Goes to this client's, um, sorry, goes to this client figures out that there's this reference he needs to do for the client, and the person doing the reference is a Pentecostal pastor. And so we end up going, or he ends up going to this guy's office, this pastor's office, and they go do the reference, and then at the end of it, the guy looks at my dad, 
and in the most old, so you got to th- picture this. This guy had like Judah Smith glasses on with a three-piece suit, right? He's probably 60 at the time. <clears throat> and he looks at my dad and says, well, sir, do you, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like, this is a man who has been in pretty much every Eastern religious setting. And this guy looks at him and says, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And my dad goes, <laughs> no. And an awkward silence, he says. And so this pastor then leans in with his glasses like this. Well, would you like to? And my dad says, maybe. I don't know. Two to three weeks later, my dad ended up giving his, starting to follow Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. It was pretty cool. I had never stepped into a church setting before in my life. And here I am on the outside, all of a sudden coming in. So my dad wakes us all up and says, all right, all right. I'll do it in the accent, okay? All right, guys, you know? All right, it's Sunday. <laughs> we have to get up. At like, and I'm like, Dad, what are you talking about? I'm probably 10 or about this time. I'm 10. And he's shaking me. And I've never been to church on a Sunday in my life, okay? Like, we've been to Sikh temple. That's a bit later in the day, but not, not early, early crazy Christian church, okay? And he says, all right, get up. We're going to church. Now, get dressed nice. Because these Pentecostal people, they like to get dressed very nice. <laughs> You're like, what? Dad, this is dumb. Like, I don't want to, I don't go to this place. Oh, no, no. I promise. It's good. <laughs> like, okay, Dad. So I get up, like every 10-year-old at the time in the 90s, you know, what do I do? I put on my Ninja Troll suspenders. Okay, Donatello, Raphael, and in the back, Michelangelo's there. It's, it's pretty fantastic. And I go to church, and here's the moral majority piece, right? I get there, and I sit down, and the Sunday school teacher, I'm 10 years old. The Sunday school teacher looks at me and goes, hmm, well, you should take those off. Ninja Turtles are demonic. And I just thought, you're dumb. <laughs> like, have you, not seen what, have you not seen the movies? Have you not seen what they can do? <laughs> They're huge turtles, like demonic. They're the good guys. And she goes into proceeding to tell me how awful I am as a human because I'm wearing these things. The next week at Sunday school, I mentioned, remember Green Day, the band? There was a, a song called Dookie, and I, I started quoting the song in Sunday school class for whatever reason, and the, the teacher was like, oh my gosh, children, cover your ears. And this was my church experience, and it felt like this was continually what was going to happen to me. Everything that I was about was wrong. And then probably, uh, you know, I started getting into church, doing the office of being a pastor, did all that stuff. I understand the subculture, fine, great, and all. But then a few years ago, probably five to seven years ago, I started seeing an incredible shift. Where now, what is hilarious and what is normal for many Christian people in society, is just not anymore. It's not the moral majority of it. Even here in Saskatchewan, it's changing rapidly. And the church doesn't know what to do about it. You see, for a lot of, if we're talking post-Christian, you got to go back a little bit. You have modernistic thinking, which is about facts, scientific facts. If the facts don't match up, if I can't feel it, see it, touch it, it's not real. Okay, so the church had to deal with that. 
And then the church had to deal with post-modernity. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Don't tell me what to believe. That's mine. That's all it is. But I'm not going to go and tell you what to believe either. And now in a post-Christian setting, it's completely different. It's my truth is my truth, and it's, it's my experience trumps whatever it is that you believe. And for many Christians, there's, there's not this understanding of how to navigate that very well. We don't know. So there are a few different responses to this, okay? The first one is flight. So many Christians, instead of actually engaging people, what they do is they go and they become even more insular into the Christian subculture. It's like they go into a cave and now John Christ is just everything. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's hilarious and he's a Christian. <laughs> this is amazing. We end up becoming so insular and so about us and so afraid of the culture that feels like they're imposing onto us that all we want to do is kind of walk away. The second one is fight. And you know Christians like this, right? People that automatically end up thinking, well, you know what? I'm not going to let the culture tell me what to believe or what to do. So I'm going to fight. And they become issues people. And they just start going at other folks all of the time. It's not like even they can have a conversation. It's a us versus them. We're in a battle. And if you don't like it, I'm going to blow your head off. Like basically that's how some Christians are. And then there's a third type. These folks kind of just buy into whatever everyone is saying. Like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be offensive. Like, I don't want people not to like me. Like, yeah, it does say that in the Bible, but you can look at it from like 10 different ways and actually get to what it is that you want. So I'm not going to, how, how you believe that, that's really old and antiquated and really just kind of weird. You know, what about this new way of thinking about it? And what we don't realize is that we're actually missing out on so many opportunities that are in front of us. I actually think that this is one of the most exciting times to be alive as a follower of Jesus because what we have, we can bring to a culture that is so open to spiritual stuff. Like never before. Like think about Stranger Things. That was about a little girl that, that in another dimension. And she had special supernatural powers. And everyone was like waiting to look for season two because it was so, the first season was so good. This is amazing. I listened to a three and a half hour podcast between Joe Rogan and Russell Brand. And Joe Rogan is talking about his DMT trips that he's having and he's talking to other people in another dimension. I mean, they're literally talking about this stuff for like three hours. It's crazy. And then Kanye West is having these things called Sunday services. Have you seen these online? You laugh, but they're amazing. But the, the trick with the Sunday services, he's having it just outside of his house in Calabasas, and it's by invite only, obviously. It's Kanye. But what happens is that anybody of any faith can come for the sake of inspiration. It's this molding and this melding of different worldviews, different ideas together that when you look at it, for many people, it's very intoxicating. It's like, all right, well, you know, I don't have to fight with people. I don't have to be this narrow-minded Christian person because ultimately that's how many of us feel. And so we actually avoid doing anything. We feel, we feel paralyzed because what, what do you do? How do you do it? How do you navigate it? 
And then there's this tension point for many of us because then we read our Bibles and it's like, go into all the world and make disciples. And you're like, okay, <laughs> that's scary. Like, what does that mean? How do I do that? When there are not only so many options, but people at the end of the day are just like, look, listen, man, like my experience really does trump what you're all about. And if you want to be this narrow-minded person, like, go ahead. But you're wrong. You're a bigot. You're hateful. You're racist. You're all of these things. I don't know about you, but I don't like being called, I don't like being called that stuff. And I hate how Christians ultimately are characterized, right? It's very annoying. I actually had a friend of mine who is in the city. We, my wife and I own this business, so we get to know a bunch of people. And this guy found out I was a pastor. You know what his comment was? He goes, no. No. Really? And Carrie said, well, yeah. Yeah, like, it's a pastor. No, that can't be. You guys are too cool. I was like, what does that mean? And he said, mm, I can't believe you guys drank the, drank the Kool-Aid. I can't believe that. Like, that's his comment. And many of us have to navigate this world that, if we're really honest, can be quite scary. The last chapter that you guys did was Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And Pastor Luke talked about how in all of the outcomes, even if it doesn't feel like God is going to show up in it, he will, he can, he will, and even if he doesn't, we still need to trust the Lord. And in chapter 4, it's this very interesting story. It's Nebuchadnezzar writes about his coming to Jesus moment, or coming to God moment. It's an incredible story. It's amazing. It's really good. And if you have your Bible, please go to Daniel chapter 4. This is what it says. We're going to start in verse 37. This is the end of the letter, and it says this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and, gl and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. So the question is, from this particular chapter, how did Nebuchadnezzar get to this point? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, here is this king of Babylon, this incredible empire that he has built by his own two hands, by literally pillaging and killing people and taking over all kinds of land. And now here is this man who is at the center of the universe at that particular time, and he's saying all of this stuff. How did he get there? Well, the story opens up in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar starts writing this letter. He talks about this dream that he has had. And for him, he wants to know what it means. And so in the court at that particular time, there were all these magicians and soothsayers and people that kind of knew how to read dreams. You know what I mean? Like people that are part of an industry of, you know, psychics, essentially, is what it was. And so here he is wanting to know what this dream is all about and calls people in and says, okay, well, tell me what it means. And nobody can tell him what this dream means. And then finally he says, well, you know what? Call in Daniel. 
He'll be able to do it. So Daniel gets called in, and Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. And in this dream, there is a huge tree. It's protecting animals. It's giving shade to all kinds of creatures. It, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Then all of a sudden, this messenger comes down and says, you need to cut down the tree. And he cuts it down. And get the, the tree gets cut down in his dream. All the branches are chopped off. This thing now, all that's left are the roots. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel and says, tell me what it means. Now, if you know anything about monarchy, like... You can't just tell people that are the king honest truth. Because if you do, you'll probably get killed. But Daniel, in this particular moment in time, we'll see it later, he's perplexed. And it's not that he's perplexed for his own life. He actually really cares about Nebuchadnezzar. And so he tells him what it means. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, look, you're the tree. If you don't start humbling yourself... And repent of the fact that you are not the center of the universe that my that God is. He's, he's going to humble you. And what's going to happen is that he's going to humble you in a way that takes you and makes you into an ox in the field. Like this is crazy. This is a crazy story. That God would humble this man to the point of making him roam in a field like a wild beast. So Nebuchadnezzar hears it. He takes it in. All right. And then the text says a year later, he's walking out on his balcony, and he's looking out at this incredible kingdom that he's built, and he says, hey, look at this. This is me. I did this with my own two hands. I feel good. I feel great. I am amazing. And no sooner is it out of his mouth that the dream that he had comes to fulfillment. He hears a voice like he did in his dream of this messenger. And just like that, this guy goes into this crazy insanity moment where now he becomes like a beast of the field, an ox. So for seven years, this guy is trolling around fields eating grass. The text says that his hair is as long as eagle feathers, eagle's wings. Have you ever seen an eagle's wing? That's some long hair. And it says that his nails were like that of a bird, like claws of a bird. Like, oh my gosh. And here is this king rolling around eating grass. And then seven years later, all of a sudden, he's out of it. And he realizes what has happened. He's like, oh, shoot. Like, imagine that, imagine that manicure. That'd be crazy. He says, oh, man. He realizes what has happened. He realizes his humanity, and he is humbled, and that's where verse 37 comes in, where now he full-on says, the God of Daniel, this God that I, I kind of just put into a range of other gods that I was using for myself, he is literally the greatest. And he can humble people to their knees if he wants to. I was one of them. It's basically what he says. The beauty about Daniel is that Daniel is an exile, right? He's been torn away from his home. He lives in a foreign land. And if you make any correlation with the New Testament text, 
Paul calls us over and over again exiles. We are like Daniel. We're living in a world that we don't belong in. We're living in a world that actually is anti-us. We're living in a world that does not want our best. And yet, God saw it fit to put us in it. Daniel got a bum deal. He got pulled away from the home and from the land that he loved, and now he's in exile in Babylon, and he's got to figure out how to navigate this un-Jewish, non-God-of-Israel world. And in this text, I think there are three things that we actually need to do as followers of Jesus, as exiles in a world that we don't belong in, to make a difference in the world, in the space where we have been put. The first thing we need to do is stand out. Stand out. Read, read these portions of Scripture with me, okay? Verse 7 and 8. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and, and diviners came, I told, the dream, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Like Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know what spirit, like whose spirit is inside of Daniel. All he knows is some God spirit inside of him. That there's something different about Daniel. He completely and utterly stands out. And you see this previous in the text, right? Like at some point, Daniel says, I don't want to eat certain choice foods because it's going against my particular faith. So I'm not going to impose this on you. Me and my friends, we're just going to eat greens. We're just going to eat vegetables. That's all we're going to do. You can eat whatever you want, but I'm going to do me over here. And he does. And if you grew up in Sunday school at all, you know that at the end of it, they are the most healthy of all of, the, all of the people that came through. Look at the way that they handle themselves in, in the fiery furnace. Daniel's not even there. Like, he's out of town or something. And these three friends, they're like, you know what? I'm not going to tell everybody else not to bow down, but for me, I'm not going to. That's not, that's not what I do. Oh, okay. They almost, they get thrown into a fiery furnace, everybody. Like, that's crazy. And they survive it. The crazy thing is that Nebuchadnezzar is impressed with Daniel, but he's not convinced by Daniel. But he's impressed by him. Daniel stands out of the crowd as somebody that is very successful in the area of discipline that he, that he has in his vocation. Daniel stands out as somebody that has integrity and will tell the truth to this man. You see, for us to be able to navigate a post-Christian world, you and I, we need to stand out. The tragedy is so many people in the church just don't. We just do what everybody else is doing all of the time. When we go to work, when we go to school, wherever we, we kind of land, we fall into the trap of being like everybody else and we miss the potential influence we could have on the world around us. 
So, so what do we mean by stand out, right? I'm not talking about putting on suits and like saying weird things like anointing. Okay? That's not how you're going to win people in a post-Christian world. Hey, bless you. What does that mean? What I mean by standing out is don't be weird. How many Christian people you know are just straight up weird? Okay, I had a friend. She runs this business, went to this church the other day to kind of do something at the church. Literally, somebody came up to her. They have no idea that she's a follower of Jesus, okay? They have no idea who she is. But this person went up to her, grabbed her hand, and said, I pray for businesses, and started screaming at her in tongues in the foyer. Like this woman, this friend of mine, is a follower of Jesus, and her response was, I will never go back there again. Why? Because it was just straight up weird. Listen, what you and I believe is already weird. We have to be honest about that. Like, think about it. Think about it logically. Like, what you and I believe in terms of the gospel is bizarre. So, oh, you believe, you believe that, oh, that we're separated from God. Okay. So, what did God do? He sent his son, who is equal in nature to him, to the earth to be born as a baby. <laughs> okay. All right. And then what? Oh, and then he lived a perfect sinless life. Okay, so Jesus, like, never messed up? No, never. Okay, then what happened? Oh, oh, this is the best part. He went through a brutal beating, got nailed to a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Wow, okay. Is that it? No, 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 no. Someday, he's going to come back on a horse with a tattoo on his leg and fire in his eyes. That's my Jesus. Like, for you and me, that is probably one of the sweetest things we have ever heard, right? For those that are being saved, it's the power of God, this truth of the gospel. But for those that are perishing, it's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. So it's already weird. But what we do is we exasperate it, and we don't end up standing out for the right things. We just fall into believing that the Christian subculture is normal. And guys, it's not. The other way that you can stand out, be a nice human being. Right? The words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, like, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Like, you can stand out just by having integrity in your workplaces. There's a guy that goes to this church, literally got a job because he said hello and good morning to people. It's not because he was the brightest guy in his graduating class. It wasn't because he was the smartest. It's because he knew how to be a nice human to other people. And you all know that that is very rare in this day and age. Nice human beings. That don't backstab you, that what they say they mean, that are willing to be with you and be faithful to you, even when it's difficult and hard. Like, that is uncommon in this particular post-Christian world that we live in. 
Here's Daniel completely standing out when the other magicians can't figure it out. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel shows up. Oh, man, he's here. Whew. That's good. That's good. The second portion of Scripture there, which is super interesting, verse 18 this is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Like, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that there's something completely different in Daniel than everybody else. He doesn't know how to, how to say it, right? He's not like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity inside of you. Like, he knows that there's something different. He knows that there's something there. And so when Daniel shows up, there's almost this peace. When is the last time you showed up into a problem situation or circumstance where someone said, oh, they're here. Wow. Everything's good now. Like, at your job, you should be such a leader that when you step into the room, solutions get found because you're there. People should have peace because you're in the room. You should be a peacemaker. You should be somebody that actually stands out from the crowd by caring for the people that are side by side with you on a daily basis and not run away from them. Don't be weird. Be a good human. And don't fall into the trap of the Christian ghetto. What do I mean by that? In the fear of this post-Christian world that's in front of us, lots of times what we do is we run away into the subculture that is very comfortable for us. I mean, we have Christian equivalents for everything, and a lot of them don't even compare to the real thing. But we act like they do. Because it's safe. And it's good. And we inundate ourselves right? We inundate ourselves by listening to a million podcasts on the regular, but many of us don't even know how to open our Bibles and hear from God ourselves because we want to hear it from Chad Veach and Judah Smith. Like, don't get me wrong, they're good preachers, but there is a God that actually wants to hear from you and wants you to hear from him. But what we do is we slide into this world of safety and comfort going to conference after conference and then when we're faced with a world that we are actually called to we have no idea how to actually talk to them you need to stand out if there's any way that you're going to navigate through this and at the end of it when you're standing before god he says well done good and faithful servant it's because you've stood out of the crowd and you know how to navigate and how to actually get people to notice you because what's inside of you is what is being noticed god's spirit that notice twice is what nebuchadnezzar identifies in daniel he says you can do it you got the spirit of the gods inside of you Oh, man, Daniel's finally here. He's got the spirit of the gods inside of him. Nebuchadnezzar is not phased by the spirituality of the moment. He's actually attracted to it. The second thing is that Daniel speaks up. Notice this in verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So he said, so the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Meaning, I want you to tell me what you honestly think. 
Daniel now has this opportunity to say something. And do you know why the other people couldn't interpret it? I'm convinced it's not because they didn't know what the dream meant. It's because they were terrified that if they told the king exactly what it was, they would get killed. So a lot of them, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to pass this one on. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pass it on. And here's Daniel, perplexed, but not perplexed because he's afraid of dying. Perplexed because he actually loves and cares for Nebuchadnezzar. And this dream is making him sad. Who wants to see this friend of theirs or this person that they admire and care for go through what they're about to go through? Nobody wants that. But here is this opportunity for Daniel to speak up, and he does. He does speak up. And then in verse 20, he says, Your majesty, be pleased to accept my what? My advice. He not only recognizes the opportunity to speak up, he takes the moment to say, this is my counsel to you. This is my opinion. This is my advice to you. You know that advice is framed in terms of internal motivation and belief. So you will tell somebody advice based on your complete worldview. And so here is Daniel having the opportunity to influence the most significant man on the planet at that particular time and says, would you accept my advice? And look at what he says. It's not like, hey, you're a real great guy. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then, uh, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. He doesn't give him, like, a nice, a nice advice. He's not like, hey, you know, you, sh you should go get a massage, bro, and chill out. Like, you need to figure out, like, you need to go do some hot yoga, cleanse it all out, get it done, do some chakras, you're good. He literally says to the king of the world, renounce your sins. And notice after, nothing happens to him. He continues to be a figure within the book of Daniel. It's, it's a whole book about Daniel, right? Like, he doesn't die. He doesn't get maimed. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't necessarily take his advice. We'll learn that later. But he hears him. He's heard. Daniel has lived up to his responsibility to be a person that hears from God and speaks truth in love. Do you notice that? At no point in this text is he ever saying, you're an awful man, you've killed a bunch of people, how dare you, God's going to get you. No, he's perplexed. And he says, look, here's some advice. You don't give advice to people you don't like or hate. You're like, hey, get, let me give you some advice, bro. <laughs> no. He tells Nebuchadnezzar the truth in love, and he speaks up. Listen, there is a world waiting for you to speak up. But we think that all they're ever going to do is reject us. Say how stupid we are, how dumb we are. I have another friend. This guy does not, he doesn't come from a religious background at all. And he he comes to our 15-year anniversary, me and my wife's. 
We went to Crackers. Do you know Crackers? It is this hole-in-the-wall bar in Lawson Heights, and they have a karaoke league. FYI. And it's amazing. I'm not going to lie to you. It's amazing. I saw a guy that looked like a Hutterite sing Little John Shots perfectly, okay? <laughs> it was amazing. And this guy, he's dating one of our friends. He, she, she's a friend of ours. We got to know her from our, from our neighborhood. Uh, she's, she's dating this guy, and he comes to our thing. I don't really know him, but he's, you know, he's, he's becoming a friend. And he looks at me. He just finally figured out what, what I do, like kind of put it together. And he looks at me. We're sitting there. We're eating these, by the way, amazing chicken fingers, crackers, just all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Chicken fingers, amazing. And he looks at me and goes, did you save anybody this week? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, no. And he goes, oh, okay. I'm just joking. And he's like, I kind of looked up some things and, you know, like I don't come from a real, like my grandparents are really religious. He's like, you know, I'm, I've kind of been thinking about some stuff. I'm kind of thinking about some stuff. And so I'm sitting in crackers while there's this, this, this guy in the back going, chat, chat, chats. Yeah. Like, and I'm telling this guy, I'm like, hey, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about a relationship with Jesus. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I, that's what I want. I just want a relationship. I don't want all this, like, nuanced weirdness. I said, I, I, I get that, man. Like, I totally get that. And we start talking some more. I invite him. Like, I'm speaking to the church in a few weeks. And I said, you should come out and, and listen. He said, you know what? I might do that. I might do that. I might do that. Yeah. Do, do I have to take masks or anything? Do I got to, like, throw water in my face or anything like that? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Great. The scenario could have gone very differently, right? Did you save anybody this week? Like, oh, man, that's weird. Okay. Anyway, how's your cat? Like, I could have completely avoided the conversation, could have went a whole different space. But this guy, now that he knows who I am, now that I stand out in his mind, I have a responsibility to speak up, to say something. And it's not that I run directly to, you're a dirty sinner and repent. Like, I'm not running there. I'm running to, let's have a relationship. Let me talk to you. Because the reality is, outside of Jesus, we are literally all on our way to hell. It doesn't matter what color you are, your sexual orientation, all of it. Every human being outside of Jesus is literally on their way to an eternity away from God. you got to speak up. And this is how I know, I've been gauging it this way. This is how I know that people actually love other people if you are willing to tell them the truth in love. If your best friend that doesn't know Jesus was running towards the edge of a cliff, forget Jesus. If your best friend was running towards the edge of a cliff blindfolded, would you just stay silent? Hey, there's a, there's a cliff. Watch it. Hey, you shouldn't. No. That's going to be bad. You wouldn't. You would be screaming, hollering out of motivation to see that person not die. Right? 
Because why? You love them. You want the best for them. Well, let me tell you, the people in your life that don't know Christ literally are those folks blindfolded running towards the edge of a cliff, and we're sitting there like, hey, man, you're going to fall. You need Jesus, just saying. And we're okay with that. We're all right. We, we pat ourselves on the back all of the time and we shouldn't. Like, for example, in Saskatoon alone, there's about 320,000 people in the metro area. If we're super generous and we say 10% of those people go to church on a Sunday and are Jesus-loving folks, that's how many? 32,000 people. How many people does that leave? Lots. And we're like, oh, yeah, church was so good. Church was so good. The worship was out of this world. They played that new Bethel song. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh, Hillsong. Was that not good? I was wearing my John Chris t-shirt the whole time. There is a world out here waiting for you and me to speak up. But speak up in love. Speak up with grace and mercy and with desire to see and understand where the other person is coming from. You and me both know that on the internet alone, there is so much vitriol, so much anger, so much hatred, that it is hard to go on there and not have your soul sucked out of you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard. Don't go to YouTube comments because your, your life will end. Because people are just mean. The world is waiting for people that will stand up and share truth in love with others. Stand out, speak up, and the last one is this, step aside. Step aside. Here's what's so interesting about this one. If you look at the verse, it's there. Nebuchadnezzar writes this. Read it. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Here is this awful dream. It's awful. Daniel doesn't sugarcoat it. He speaks up. He stands out. He speaks up. He says what's going to happen. He's not sitting there going, oh, well, you know, um, it's just going to sugarcoat it for you. No, he tells him the truth. And here's the deal. Nebuchadnezzar does not listen. He doesn't. You would think after a terrifying dream like that, Nebuchadnezzar would say, well, i got to repent and change my ways. Oh, but he doesn't. He leaves Daniel alone for a whole year. He just keeps doing his thing. And then at one point, he gets up on his balcony. Oh, look at what I built. And then all of a sudden, everything that was in that dream comes to pass. And this guy is roaming around in fields eating grass for seven years. Do you realize there was that one year plus that seven years? It was eight years before Nebuchadnezzar ever had his eyes opened to what God was saying to him. Eight years. That's a long time. But at no point in the text does it say that all of a sudden, because Daniel shared this dream with him, he started sending tracks to his house. 
started buying him Christian books, was posting things on his Facebook, hoping that Nebuchadnezzar would see it. This is the day that the Lord has made with a beautiful picture from you version. He'll see that. Send. The text is silent, but the assumption is that Daniel, being a servant of Nebuchadnezzar, stepped aside. And just trusted that the Holy Spirit of God's that is inside of him, like what's like Nebuchadnezzar said he was there, would do his work. You can stand out, you can speak up, but at some point you have to step aside and let the Holy Spirit do his work in people's hearts. It's not your job to convert people, just so you know that. It's your job to be faithful to share the good news of who Jesus is. That's literally it. And when you're done that, step aside. One thing I will say to you, don't use people as projects, okay? Like, don't go to university or to work and be like, Bethany's going to be my project. I'm going to get her saved. Because then when she says, I'm good, I'm good, you'll be like, why not? Why don't you want this wonderful, life-changing message of the gospel, Bethany? You'll get angry at her, and then all of a sudden be like, I'm done with you, Bethany. You're not listening. What you need to do is create a culture in your own heart and in your life of faithfulness to people, irregardless if they accept. You walk with people through hard stuff. You walk with people when they disagree with you. You walk with people when it is hard and it's treacherous and they don't see eye to eye with you and that same friend keeps getting in the same mess over and over again. You know what? You just being the person that is there, that loves them and cares for them when everyone else is rejecting them can make a huge difference in their lives. And that, in fact, is stepping aside and letting God in you come out and show this person who the God that you serve really is. But in this culture of literally using people in relationship, like we're consumers. If I can't get something out of you or if I can't get what I ultimately, the end desire that I want, I'm done with you. Our faith does not allow that. We have to be people that walk so side by side lovingly with others that we are willing to step aside and let the Spirit do His work. We have to walk with people on their terms, not on ours. The reality is that this world around you is hard to navigate and lots of us are too scared to actually engage it. But if you will choose to do that, I promise you, God, just like he used Daniel, will use you. That friend that you never think will ever come to know Jesus, if you'll just be faithful to stand out and speak up and then Step aside. Just watch what God does. That family member that you love and care for so much, if you would just stand out, live your life, be faithful in that, speak up when you have the opportunity to do that, and then step aside, just watch what God does. 
We put stuff on our shoulders all the time that should never be there. You and I, all we got to do is what? Three S's here, people. First one is what? Stand out. Don't be weird, be a good human, and don't get caught in the Christian ghetto. Second is speak up. When God gives you a platform, use it. Don't be afraid. Pretty sure he promised all his disciples, I'll tell you what to say. And then the third one, just step aside. And leave the results and the outcomes to God. It's not your job to convert. It's your job to share what Jesus has done in your life, the truth of the gospel, and leave it with him. I promise you, God will do things that you never imagined. Ever. I'm living proof of it. Like I get to talk to people all the time, not because I'm a pastor, but because I own a business. I literally get to go to places where they're serving Coke. Like, not just Coke, like Coca-Cola, cocaine. At these parties. And I'm standing in the middle of it. And I'm watching people completely destroy their lives. Do you think I stand there and I'm like, well, you shouldn't do cocaine, young man. I smile. I give them incredible customer service. I joke around with them. And my prayer as I'm doing it is, Lord, give us more opportunities to be with these people. Let them book us again and again so they can see my face over and over and over again. We did uh, Wilson's staff party. It's like 125 people, okay? It is hot and humid in Wilson's last summer. It's crazy. And all these people are nuts. And the way they start off the night is tequila shot for literally everybody. That's how they start off the night, the party. Like, tequila shot crazy! And I'm standing there like, oh, this is going to get crazy. And it got crazy. But it was awesome. I got to talk to the owners, got to know them, got to know their kids, got to know their family, got to know the other people there. At the end of it, they, they emailed us and said, who is that curly-haired guy? Like, he did such a good job, they gave us free passes for our family to go and do go-karts. And they were like, man, like, that was so much fun. I'm not saying that to brag and to be like, oh, well, look at me, I'm so, I'm so cool. Because I'm not. It's literally all about standing out, speaking up, and stepping aside. And what God does with it is up to God. But your job, your responsibility, is to be faithful in the way that you live out your life out there. Don't play the game of church. You have a mission and a calling on your life to be out here sharing Jesus with others. The world needs you. The world needs you. Let's pray. Jesus,
even for me, as I was reading this text, Lord, this, it was very challenging. I realized as I was reading it, God, that I have so much more work to do. That I have preconceived ideas. I have comfort zones that keep me away from being the most effective person that you want me to be for your kingdom and for your name. I have fears. We all have stuff that we are going through, stuff that overwhelms our hearts, things that keep us paralyzed, thinking that, oh, because I'm struggling with this, no one's ever going to take me seriously. Or because I'm going through this, it's, no one will ever want to hear what I got to say. And yet, God, I pray that the reality is that you're not asking for people who are perfect. You're asking for people who are available. And God, I pray that you would take every person in this room and challenge them to the point of wherever they put their foot in this post-Christian world, that they would understand that you have put them there for a reason in this season. That God, that as they go to work tomorrow or school, as they begin to be with family and friends that don't know you, Jesus, I pray that you would change their perspective so that their hearts would be that I need to stand out, I need to speak up when the opportunity arises, and then I just need to step aside and let God do what he does. God, I pray that this group of people would be a radical force to be reckoned with on this planet and in this city. Lord, would we be so dissatisfied with the way that we are, we are going about your kingdom work? Would everything that we do, if it's just about investing in the Christian ghetto, would it continually feel completely empty? And would it push us out of our comfort zones? Would it move us to the amazing life of mission that you're calling us to? God, I pray every opportunity would be taken. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause people to know your grace and mercy and care like never before. I pray, God, that there would be an overwhelming sense of call and that there would be this incredible, incredible desire to not keep what you have done for humanity to ourselves. Would the picture of our friends running towards a cliff, blindfolded, keep us up at night? Would it move us to not be satisfied with staying on the sidelines, but will we desperately want to reach out and to speak up, to stand out, speak up, and in the end, step aside and allow your spirit to do his work. Thank you for this group of people. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name.